church. Let's give it up for Pastor William. Yeah. And Pastor LaVisha from St. Joseph's CME Church. Amen. So I'm gonna, uh, we're going to have them share uh, for a brief moment um, the vision behind this and uh, their heart as, as pastors um, leading in this. All right. Thanks, Matt. Um, why are we doing this? Why, why we have different churches coming together like this? Here's why. Because uh, Jesus, just before he died, he prayed. And he, he prayed that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. The problem is that we're not there yet. We, there are all kinds of divisions between us. There are divisions because of culture. There are divisions because of tradition. There are divisions because of history. There's lots of different reasons that there are divisions. But this is not the way it's always going to be. There is a future coming. There is a future coming when we will be united as the body of Christ. And there will be no more divisions in any way. Um, We'll still be different. But we'll be completely united. And friends, that is our future. You know what? Uh, God will not refuse the request of Jesus for us to be one. It will be answered. And that is the direction that we are all going. That is our future. And so any movement that we have toward becoming more unified, toward coming together, it is an answer of the prayer of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is with us. This is what he wants us to do. This is what it means to follow Jesus, is to uh, live out the desire that he had. And so I'm looking forward to that. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this. Because we are truly one. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. morning. Did you all just get out of bed? (laughs) Probably so, yes. That's good. But we we are here uh, this morning. Um, Whether or not you know it or not, whether or not you want to believe it or not, whether or not you want to accept it or not, there is an undercurrent of racism in Chapel Hill and Carborough. And one thing that Pastor Matt said this morning with regards to that was that we are bold enough and we are intentionally taking a step to address the friction uh, among the family. Um, We have a tendency to close our eyes as Christians to the ugly things. We don't like the ugliness of the cross, but it was, in fact, the ugliness of the cross that actually saved our souls. And if we say that we are Christians and that we are living and going to live this thing out, then that means that you are going to have to come out of a comfort zone and to actually see that there is a Jesus in me also, as it is in the same one in your office or next to you. What I want to do just for a very brief minute is to read from you an excerpt, which is what we read this morning. You may not find any of my members here this morning because we had an eight o'clock service and then we did the 10 o'clock service and stretching the my congregation is primarily senior citizens and so I'm stretching it to come, to get them to come to three services amen amen so they were we were packed out here this morning it was almost standing room only so let me just share with you from this excerpt from Martin Luther King's um sermon entitled the most durable power This is just an excerpt, and it says, Always be sure that you struggle with Christian methods and Christian weapons. Never succumb to the temptation of becoming bitter. 
As you press on for justice, be sure to move with dignity and discipline, using only the weapon of love. I still believe in understand and standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. This is the end of life. The end of life is not to be happy. The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. But the end of life is to do the will of God, come what may. I still believe that love is the most durable power in the world. And what you're looking at are three individuals who have decided that we are going to engage in the most durable power in the world, come what may. Amen. And so we thank you for coming here uh, on this morning. Uh, Again, there were probably a few people here from Grace, but primarily this is love. But we want to share with you what our vision is, because we will. It takes an intentional movement to stamp out and to come against racism, if that is, in fact, what you believe. Amen. Thank you for coming. I always forget to pray. I preach and then pray. So let's pray. Ah, gracious God, it is once again that we come to say thank you for being God all by yourself. That above you there is no other, or so we say and so we believe in our hearts. We thank you, God, for Love Church. We thank you for Grace Community, and we thank you for St. Joseph that you have given us a vision that is bigger than us, but that is one that you will be in charge of. God, place in the minds and the hearts of those who feel uncomfortable, shake those that are comfortable where they are and make them uncomfortable as far as being a Christian. We thank you, God, that the cross was not a pretty cross, but it was an ugly cross, and it faced the frictions of the day. Help us, God to come together as three communities, to become one as family. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Bless Pastor Matt as he goes forth with his preaching skills on today. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm so grateful. Uh, I want to say it again for, to Pastor Lavisha and Pastor William for having the vision to see um, not three separate churches but one family, and to invite us together and to be in this together. And I absolutely love it. We're honored, we're humbled um, to get to be a part of this expression of God's family. I absolutely love it. Now, we love to romanticize the idea of family. How many of you have brothers and sisters? Amen. Family can be tough, right? Family can be hard. It's not always easy to be family. And I really appreciate the courage that they have displayed in challenging us to get out beyond our comfort zone in order to embrace the reality of family. Because family can be difficult. Many of you guys know I have uh, twin sons, Sam and Luke. And uh, they turned four this summer. And they are full-fledged, man. They are... All out. I love it. It's great. And they love each other. There's this deep brotherhood there. They absolutely love each other. And then there are the times when they like to give each other a love tap. You know what I mean? 
My kids hit each other. I don't know. Your kids probably don't, all right? But confession, my kids do. And uh, not too long ago, Sam hit Luke, and he was getting in trouble for it. And, and Sam said, but, Dad, I was just trying to give him a high five on the face. <laughs> okay, bonus points for creativity, but you're still in trouble, Okay. And that's the, the reality of brotherhood. There's a deep love, but we have to be honest. When family comes together, there can also be friction in the family, right? But I appreciate the courage so much of, of challenging us to step out beyond our comfort zones, to embracing tension, to embracing friction, to being honest about things and realizing that we are a family joined together and we have to live like it. We have to live like it. The church should be the leading prophetic voice for racial reconciliation in our culture. And we should go beyond being just the voice for it. We should be the prophetic embodiment of racial reconciliation. And that's what this, a day like this is designed to do. And this is a, these are first steps. And thank you both for leading us in that for leading us. So when we get together like this uh, with all of our churches together, it just the, 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 I feel like the Lord struck me with this thought that this is not guests visiting each other's houses of worship. Okay? This is not guests visiting each other's houses of worship. This is family at home. Okay? In just another room in the Father's house. Right? That's how we see this. And so we joked earlier, some people might feel like they got to visit their little brother's room who plays the music too loud today. All right? But we're another room in the Father's great house. I love it. That's what we're talking about today. The Father's house. This, this moment in uh, the book of Second Samuel chapter 7. This incredible moment that, that I believe is the high point of the story of David. This is the turning point, the key moment of the story of David because it makes all of the other story makes makes sense. It locks together all of the other storylines that are happening in David's life and it gives us this clear lens through which we can understand the comprehensive story of David's life. We've been walking through his story um, all summer long, and today we're wrapping it up with this. And so when I say that, when, when, I, when I talk about the high point of his story, you might be thinking we're, we're talking about that moment where he's anointed as king, right, where he's brought out of obscurity. The prophet Samuel goes and lines up all of the sons of Jesse. God sends him to the sons of Jesse to pick one of the, one of the sons to be the king. And all of the sons line up, and as Samuel is walking down the line, God is whispering into his heart, Samuel, this prophet who learned to listen and obey the voice of God from a very young age. And he stayed consistent and faithful in that. And he's moving down the line, and each son that he comes to, God whispers in his heart, this is not the one. This is not the one. This is not the one. Samuel, you and people look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. This is not the one. And so Samuel actually runs out of options. He comes to the end of the line and he says, is there, is there any other son here? Is there anybody else in line? So they say, well, there's our, the, the youngest, David. So they send for him, bring him from, from the uh, shepherd, from the sheep field, right? Whatever you call that, pasture, all right? <laughs> Bring him from the pasture. And, and as soon as he walks up, God speaks into Samuel's heart and whispers with a clarity 
rise and anoint him. He is the king I've chosen. Sometimes you can get to, your end, to the end of all of your options before you find God's choice for you. But God is always faithful in that. So some of you might be thinking, well, if we're talking about the highlight of David's life, you know, it's got to be one of these moments of battle with the mighty men, right? Or maybe uh, we're talking about what it means to seek intimacy with God. Or maybe, of course, this great moment where David faces down the giant Goliath, right, and wins in victory. All of those are crucial moments. But this is the key moment. That we're looking at today because it sheds light on all of the rest of the story. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 1. After the king, David, was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. We're going to get to that part in a second. Let me stop right here for just a moment. We need to realize what exactly is happening here with what David is saying. It looks like this grand gesture. Okay, It looks like this pure motive. And there is some purity in this of David saying, look, I look, I'm living in this great palace, in this beautiful, elaborate home, and the The ark of God, the presence of God is still living in a tent since the exodus, right? It's like, I need to build a home for God. I need to build a house for God. And at first, it looks like it's motivated by this deep gratitude. That's part of it. It looks like it's motivated by this deep honor for God. That's part of it. It looks like it's motivated by this worship of God. That's part of it, too. But as we pull back and we see the broader context in which this story is taking place, we begin to recognize an underlying motive that isn't obvious right on the surface. One of the things we said last week is when you're reading a passage of Scripture, don't just look at the what of that passage, right? But to be able to really understand it, you have to look at what it says, and you have to understand when this is taking place and where this is taking place, and that begins to help you have a better glimpse of why this is happening. Same is true in this passage. The context of this day is this. All of the surrounding nations around the nation of Israel at this point, all have these gods and these deities that they worship. And they believe that these gods and these deities help them in battle and they bring them blessing and all of these different things. And one of the things that they do is all of these nations build these shrines. They build these temples as houses for their gods. And their idea is we need to root our gods right here. We need to build a house for our gods so they don't get up and move somewhere else. Let's let them settle down right here. And so they build these temples and it's a way in their minds of saying, please don't go anywhere. Please don't leave us because we need your help. This is what's playing into David's mind at this moment. He looks back on his history and he recognizes rightly that without God, he would be utterly lost. He sees his complete dependence and desperation for God. And then another thought enters in. He moves beyond this desperation for God and he moves into this place of wanting to contain God. 
wanting to control God. So he says, I will build him a house, and then he can't go anywhere. He has to stay right here. Have you ever tried to contain God? Yeah, how'd that one work out? We have a wild God. We have a God who is on the move. You cannot even hope to contain him. You can't even hope. God invites us and calls us to live at the center of his will. But often we answer that call with trying to make him live at the center of ours. Christianity is not an invitation for Jesus to come follow you. It is an invitation to drop everything and follow him wherever he leads. He sets the agenda. He moves where he wants to, and he invites you to come with him. Here's the, here's the reality that makes us afraid sometimes. Because maybe we have a history in our, in our lives of trusting in someone who did not stay. And so we try to lock God down too because we need him, and we don't want him to get up and leave and move to something new. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God is faithful. God is faithful. He is always moving, but I promise you, he will never leave you. He will not leave you. That is the promise Jesus gives us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, even to the ends of the age. I will not do it. And he won't start breaking that promise with you. I promise you that. I promise you that. Now, you do need to understand God will move. Okay, he will move. You can't contain him, so he will move. But he won't leave you to go to something new. He will lead you into something new. When he moves, he asks you to come with him and to move with him and stay in that dynamic relationship with him. David wants to lock God down and wants to make sure that he has God right where he needs him. God answers back in this. He speaks to the prophet Nathan. He says, go back to David. And here's what I need you to say. Go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have, I, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all of the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? You can almost hear the sarcasm in God's voice. Do you think I need this? This is what you want? You think that I need this? David, now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people Israel. Started from the pasture, now we're here. I have been, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I have been, <laughs> I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now, get this. He begins to turn it on David. David, this is what you're promising to do for me? No, no, no. Get ready, David. 
Here's what I am promising to do for you. I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress my people anymore. Wicked people will not oppress my people anymore, God promises, as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. I will establish the kingdom and one will sit on the throne who comes from your family line forever. This is the promise of God. This is incredible. Now the whole story starts to make sense. We see in this brilliant move, God playing on the language that David has brought to him. David says, God, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a temple and a place for you to dwell. And God says, no, no, David, I'm going to build you a house. David meant a house as in a temple. God meant a house as in a dynasty, a royal lineage that will go on forever. And he says, someone from your family line will sit on the throne of my kingdom forever and ever and ever. That's my promise to you, David. This is mind-blowing. This is beautiful. And in this moment, the rest of the story starts to make Sense. Just like with so many of the Old Testament prophecies, this has an immediate context to it, and it's also got a future eternal context to it. The immediate context is, of course, David's son Solomon, who will uh, follow him and inherit the throne and will build a temple for God. Okay, So that's the immediate context. But what we see here are the seeds of this future promise of the Messiah. God himself will step into our story. God will send his son, Jesus Christ, born in the line of David to take his place on the throne and to rule the kingdom of God forever. That is what this promise is about. That is what this promise is about. And now suddenly the whole story takes on a completely different Look, what this is, is this is a covenant that God makes with David. And it's the last of the great covenants of the Old Testament. The Old Testament can be really difficult to understand. But the five basic anchor points of the Old Testament story, the entire thing, can be summed up in the five covenants that God makes with humanity. If you want to understand the Old Testament, look at these five anger points and it pulls the whole story together. The first covenant is the one that he makes with Adam. The second is the covenant that he makes with Noah. The third is the covenant that he makes with Abraham. The fourth is the covenant that he makes with Moses. And now the fifth is the covenant that he makes here with David. And we begin to see the way that every one of these covenants has been pointing ahead to Jesus. They've had their immediate context, but they've also been loaded down with this eternal future promise about Jesus Christ. They all find fulfillment in Jesus. The covenant of Adam, Jesus, is the new creation story. And what went wrong in the garden is set right in the person of Jesus. Adam introduces the fall and the curse of sin. Jesus introduces forgiveness and redemption. 
through his death and resurrection. The story of Noah. We see in this story that God judges sin, but he provides a rescue. This finds its greatest fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the righteous judge. But the beautiful thing is he takes that judgment on himself. The judgment that we deserve. Sin must be judged and Jesus judges sin. But he takes the judgment on himself and provides a rescue through his death and resurrection. That's the full hope of that story. The story of Abraham where God promises that a child of Abraham, this promised son. And God will use that promised son to bless the entire world to the ends of the earth. That finds its fullest fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The, prophet, the, the covenant that God makes with Moses when he leads them out of slavery in Egypt and makes them his covenant people. Jesus is our ultimate deliverance from the slavery of sin, bringing us into a covenant reconciled relationship with God. And now the story of David. This incredible story. And through this lens of this covenant, the rest of the pieces begin to lock into place and we understand what the story of David has been about all along. We couldn't get it at first. We couldn't get it at first because we thought it was pointing to us. We thought David, we're looking at it like we're in Sunday school, right? And we're thinking that David is teaching us these nice little lessons. There's so much for us to learn and apply to our lives from David's story. But David's story is not primarily about you. David's story is not primarily about how you can be a godly leader or how you can seek intimacy with God or how you can be a loyal friend or how you, we all love this one, how you can go up against your giant with nothing but a rock in your pocket and a slingshot and through bravery and courage overcome whatever stands against you. That is not what this story is about. This story is the story of an anointed shepherd king who is pointing ahead to our great anointed shepherd king, Jesus Christ himself. The whole book has been pointing to him, and David's story is about him too. Jesus is the center of it all. He's the center of history and more. Jesus is the protagonist of the New Testament. He's also the author of the Old Testament. Jesus is at the center of it all. And that's what this story is about. We suddenly realize through this passage, this is what God has been building in this story all along. Pointing us ahead to the truth of Jesus, our anointed shepherd king, who takes on our giants for us because we cannot do it by ourselves. I don't care how much courage you build up. We cannot do it on ourselves. We're the ones standing with the rest of the Israelite army wondering who's going to step up and take on Goliath. You're going to do it? I ain't doing it. Definitely not me. All right. And we're scared to death because we know we've got no hope. Jesus is the anointed shepherd king who steps out from the line and says, do not be afraid. This battle belongs to me. And he is the one who runs into the battle for us and fights against our giants and overcomes them for us. If you thought David's weapon in that story was a strange kind of thing to take into a fight, five stones and a sling, right? If you thought that weapon was weird, look at our anointed shepherd king and the weapon he carries into battle. 
he puts his weapon on his back and he makes his way up the hill. And as the blood starts to flow from his head and his hands and his side and his feet, as the blood starts to flow, the giants start to stumble. And with every drop of his blood that hits the ground, the giants come crashing down in defeat. He is our victorious anointed shepherd king. And this story is all about him and your story is all about him. It is through the strong but broken body of Jesus and the poured out blood of the new covenant and the eternal kingdom that he overcomes the giant of sin in our lives and brings us victory through his death and his resurrection. And then he sits on the throne forever reigning as the king above us all. That's what David's story is about. And that is what your story is about. Jesus, thank you for the power of this person we've been studying, for all of the things that we have learned from his life. But thank you above all else that he points us to you. Thank you above all else that he points us to you. Help us to see it. Help us to follow you. Help us to understand that our story is about your story. Help us to live into that, to surrender ourselves to it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.